The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. During the pandemic, we had an opportunity to relook at things. You know, you're taking a step back before you move forward. And I think it's a time of opportunity, a time to stand out in the market where the smaller players fall out and the bigger players just get bigger. Because how many brands can say they have been around uninterrupted for 145 years? Those voices you heard at the top of the show are Jeffrey Cohen and uh, Mr. Michael Benevente. Both, if I sound a little apprehensive or nervous, I got to tell you, those are the bosses. Uh, I'm Bill McCuddy. I'm here with David Graver and Scott Alexander. Gentlemen, we've got the big guns in the podcast studio today. My best smile is plastered on my face, sir. (laughs) I want to demonstrate to them we know how to have conversations. (laughs) This has been a wonderful ride. Uh, We've enjoyed talking to people, American stories about businesses that are surviving. We had no idea the pandemic was going to hit us in the middle of uh, producing these podcasts. And we were just wanting to meet the, the guys who said yes to all this and see what the hell were they thinking. Well, also <laughs> legends in the watch industry. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I also have to, I want to get to the root of a few things, basically words that are very resonant in the watch world today, like heritage and sentiment in legacy, in iconography, because I feel like no one can answer better than the people we're about to speak to. Yeah, a lot of people misinterpret the word icon. I tend to use it in icon you into buying a timeshare. (laughs) I con my wife into making dinner. Uh, Yeah, uh, we haven't maybe talked about this before. In addition to Bulova and Accutron, the Citizen Watch Group, which is gigantic, includes other brands like uh, Caravelle, Wittenauer, Frederick Constant, Alpina, Arnold & Son, and uh, something Atelier de Monocle, which I don't think I've ever even seen. Your pronunciation was perfect. It was. was It's actually a couture watch line. It is, they make watches for presidents and they are extraordinary like half a million and up but the name citizen means watches for most people citizen of the world i love that yeah so uh two special guests jeffrey cohen michael benevente here on the accutron show when we return the world runs on accutron time accutron watches since 1960 from new york city to around the world Jeffrey, welcome to uh, the Accutron Show, our little podcast. How's it going so far? It's going great. Thank <laughs> you for having me today. <laughs> we're we're thrilled to have you. A little nervous too, because you know you're the big guy. You're the one in charge. So, uh, how's it going so far? It's going good. <laughs> okay. we'll, let, we'll let you know a little bit after the interview. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you think the watch world is headed in the next ten or fifteen years. Oh, I, I think it's headed to a very different direction. Um, I think transacting in the watch industry is going to be very different than it was before. Before, you used to go into a store, the person behind the counter, you have this you know, this type of engagement, and they would show you the timepiece, and then you'd purchase it and leave. Today, the purchase funnel and the is very much different. It's being done online, and then people doing a lot of research, and they're going into the store. I think the retail is going to be very different. Who's actually going to be selling watches? I think you're going to see more than 50% of watches being sold online versus being sold in the store. And that's through brick-and-mortar retailers that have their own online. And then, you know, power players that are basically dominating the market. I think as some of these department stores uh, have reset and they close a lot of stores, I think the legs on the stool 
whether it be a national jewelry store or a national department store or stores with a lot of overhead um, and are in these enclosed malls, I think are going to have a very difficult time. I think the people that are going to be very aggressive with their digital formats are the ones that are going to win. So it's going to be a very different place where you're actually not only going to find watches online, but where you're going to purchase them ultimately. I feel like, uh, you know, when you're making a big purchase, uh, a watch is a commitment, it, like a car is a commitment. I always want to test drive a car. I want to be there in person. I want to see what it looks like from the cockpit. And with a watch, I want to see it on my wrist before I, you know, slap down the credit card. Yeah, so you're going to see a lot of uh, virtual reality, a lot of different technology that's being introduced right now that you'll, uh, virtual showrooms and things like that, virtual try-ons is something we're, right. we're doing right now. Uh, we can actually go into one of our stores and make an appointment, and it can actually do a virtual try, and you actually see how it looks on your wrist. Uh, so it's, it's. I think the consumers uh, is not as concerned buying online as they used to be. It's not as touchy feely, although the, the the industry is. I think you're going to see a lot more being transacted online than ever before. But you're not abandoning retailers. Oh no, no, no. that's where you that's built. Our, that's the core foundation. They're our number one priority. But we are aligning ourselves with the most important retailers and the retailers that are we have the best uh, communication with and they're doing the best job for all of our brands. And these are very different type of retailers. That's the other thing. The landscape of retailers has changed dramatically in the last 30 years. So you're seeing very different types of places where the consumer can actually make a purchase. Well, you said, I think, that the used to be that the market determined the customer and now the customer determines the market. And, and I guess that means you're looking at the individual buyers now in a different way. Yeah, I think the, the buyers, the, we have to run the business. You know, we go in with a group approach and, you know, we work with one of the, all the largest uh, retailers out there in, in, in North America and all our markets. And we run the business essentially. You know, we tell them what they should buy, what they should put in the store, how it should be merchandised, how it should be advertised. And we make sure that they're productive. You're only as good as your last sell-through or your last watch sold. So it's very important that, you know, we run the business today, especially all these retailers have cut out a lot of the uh, middle management and a lot of different areas. So they need the help, and we're there to help them. That's You mentioned early in the, in the podcast what's different about our group than the other groups besides having the best people in the industry, people that understand the markets, people that are on the ground. We're, we're the great partner. We have a lot of consistency over other groups out there in the marketplace. You start seeing all these European companies coming in. They put every four years as a new president, a new GM, new acting hmm. director, you know, and with a new set of rules. And he's Swiss or he's German. Swiss, or he's... German, French, and he's telling you how to We're run. We're not judging. We're just saying that just seems to the way that You're going to run your business this way. <laughs> and this is how many watches you're going to carry. And then we're going to sue you if you don't, uh, you know, this is the reality of the watch business. Our group, very different. We're... We're customer friendly. We're brand. We're, we're we want to do business, and we want to sit down with you, work out a plan that's not only good for you, but good for the industry as well. You've relaunched Accutron as a standalone brand. What does this mean in your portfolio? This is a, a very unique uh, proposition. Okay, and you talked about during during COVID and things like that. This is a disruptor. This particular module has took over ten years. Okay. For the citizen group to develop. Ten years, that is unheard of. Millions and millions of dollars of R&D and technology and, and uh, engineering went into this watch. It's a one-of-a-kind watch. We were first to do a lot of different type of things as one-of-a-kinds. So this is a new day. It's a new era for Accutron. 
You brought one of those people along with you, as, as you mentioned, Michael Benevente. We're going to talk to him in depth about that in a second. But I'm going to ask you something that I'm also going to ask him. Were you sitting at home watching Mad Men? And did you know it was going to happen when they sat down and pitched the, the ad for Accutron? Did you think, this has got to be the greatest product placement I've ever seen in my career? It, it was unbelievable. It was like, you, you, I don't think you could have paid for anything better than that. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a multi-million dollar. And that's why we went and collaborated with, with them and using the tagline. But the, the, the thing that hit me the most was at the end, when the woman that was, she was, he was doing the pitch to said, wow. <laughs> yeah, you that's know, a home run. That, that's she a home that's run, a home and run. that was yeah. like you know that means it was uh, that was an emotional connection that I saw, and I said we talked. Michael and I talked about, it and we said we got to jump all over this. This is terrific. It's unbelievable. But the fact that Citizen is uh, is a company that's based in Japan, but almost everyone that works here in the United States is American. That's unusual in the watch industry, isn't it? It's very unusual in the company. That's what differentiates us from the rest of the industry. We put the best in class on the ground in all of our territories around the world. And you oversee how many different watch companies? I have pretty much uh, all of the uh, North America region. So everything from Latin America, the Americas going into Canada. And they also um, they cover the UK market as well. English banking market is very important. There's a lot of synergies there. Plus, we have a lot of customers that are similar as well. How do you balance your time and attention between all of these brands with very important, very distinct identities? Well, we have uh, some really good brand guardrails that are very, very important. And the brand fabric has been determined. There are all of the things that we do to make sure that we're being very unique um, uh, all the time. It's very, very important to make sure that we uh, stay true to who we are. And we also have the best people in each brand which is very important, making sure that these people really are the best in class and they're a good fit culturally. And our company is all about culture, and that really is something that's important. I'm curious, in such a global operation, is it difficult at all to balance the different sort of fashion uh, issues across the world? Not, not as much as you would think. I mean, there's def definitely some lifestyle differences, but when we develop product, it's basically global product development. So we have committees sitting down all around the world to make sure that we're we're filling the voids in the marketplaces in a lot of different territories. Yeah, because I would think Japan would want something different than America, maybe. Or, or is that a myth? The core is the core. The world is very small. People are traveling. It's very important to us to make sure that the, the brand looks consistent, whether you're in, in, the, in the Asia market or the North American market or in Europe. So there are things called area models which are more specific to certain um, areas of the country based on size, based on uh, automatic versus uh, echo drive versus different type of unique modules or technologies. That's a differentiator for sure. Mm -hmm. and for sure, we know Asia loves automatic watches. Right. Well, okay, let's get to it. How are you doing in the pandemic? How are you selling watches? How's the watch business? We're doing good. It's, it's, uh, we're doing better than most. I think it's an opportunity. We've been taking market share uh, during the pandemic. We had an opportunity to... Uh, Relook at things, you know, you're taking a step back before you move forward. And I think uh, it's a time of opportunity, a time to stand out in the market uh, where the smaller players fall out and the bigger players just get bigger. Obviously, the pie is not growing, but we're getting a much bigger piece of the pie. What do you, would you say is the role of brick and mortar moving forward? Brick and mortar is actually very, very important. Obviously, that's usually the, the pickup point of a product that, that's being sold. It's really the, probably the bottom of the funnel of a pathway for the consumer. Basically, they're researching online and either picking up in store or using the store as a convenience standpoint. And certainly during the pandemic, it's been something that's worked very well. Pick up, you know, buy online and pick up uh, right outside on the street. 
Moving forward, actually, then, what is the role that data is playing in, in consumer data with the way you're selling and branding, selling, marketing watches? Everything is data. There's no more, you know, you're trying to ask what's changed in the last 30 years. Everything's driven by data today. We make no, every decision, we don't do anything unless we test before we invest. We pulse in, pulse out on different things. But all the decisions are being made on data. And it's all about the consumer, listening to the consumer and getting, uh, using them as a barometer for what's important. Because it used to be very different. It used to sell to a wholesaler. Now we have to become more of a, a consumer-centric company. So it's very important that we use the data and listen to what people are telling us. Sentiment plays such an important part in buying a watch and being loyal to a watch brand. How do you align sentimentality with data? Well, it's, it's, that's where the marketing comes in. Uh, it's obviously yeah, <laughs> picking the right places where the consumer sees your product, um, the right emotional type of situation that you're setting up through using different type of influencers or different type of watch mediums or, or publications and things like that. So well, in addition to that, like purely numbers game, there is a little black magic still in the equation. Absolutely. There's, yeah, there is a history that needs to be taken into, into account. Remember that the jewelry and watch business is a very old fashioned, you know, business model. It still is today. You know, usually second, third generation businesses, a little slower to adapt to technology. And uh, I think the last six months have, uh, has woken up a lot of uh, retailers and they need to start moving a little bit quicker. David brings up a good point, though. Do you think there is still brand loyalty, at, especially at the medium level? I mean, obviously, Paddock is saying you buy it and you leave it to your kid and, and Rolex is kind of handed down. But uh, at, the, at the level of, of, let's say, a citizen watch, is there still brand loyalty? There's no brand loyalty today anymore. Um, it's really something you might be a little uh, surprised by my comment. The consumer at least the younger demographic, it depends if you're dealing with the Gen X, the Gen Zs, or the baby boomers, very different. The baby boomers, they were brand loyalists. They, if they had a you know, certain brand and they had many of them today in their closet, with the, the younger generation today, they have many different brands and many different choices. And if they see something that's exciting for them today, they're going to go after that. So you have to make sure you're relevant in talking to all of these classes. And that's something that's very important. I'm glad you brought it up. But uh, brand loyalty is, is very different today than it was 10, 15 years ago. Well, this is what was interesting to me about when you were saying that uh, you're getting a, a larger piece of the pie at this point. We think of the smaller companies as being the ones that can be nimble, the ones that have taken advantage of this recent sort of brand loyalty shift. Are there ways that citizens, the citizen group has been able to stay more nimble in the face of exactly what you're talking about? Yes, and uh, that's a good point. We, uh, we are very nimble, and we just went through a whole reorganization um, really becoming a digital first organization. Um, and we basically shifted the chairs around the organization. So we put more people in digital, more people in marketing. Um, and we rationalized our business of what's really working and what's really not working. And we flattened the organization as well. So it allows us to be much quicker and make decisions much faster, not only in product development, but marketing. And digital allows us to be a lot more nimble as a company too, because, you know, it's not like the old days with print ads and TV and out of home where you have to really plan that out. We can change uh, any time and very quickly. So it's, a, it's, it's actually pretty nice to work with. How many watches do you have at home? 
I have uh, I lost count a long time ago. <laughs> we talked about everything in the portfolio at the top of the show. So what are you wearing today? I'm wearing uh, an Accutron Space View, which is unbelievable. Uh, it's unbelievable. And uh, you mentioned the people that you have in every division, and we're going to talk to Michael Benevente, yes. who's uh, launching Accutron again. Obviously, that's what this whole podcast has been about, and we appreciate uh, you letting us tell the story. I, I wonder if there's a watch that you had, you remember as a child that was either given to you or you bought uh, and maybe was one of the first watches you had? Uh, the first watch I had as a child was a Seiko. Um, it was in, it was in, uh, not, not as a child, but I would say in high school, you know, that was, and it wasn't even a Seiko, it was a Pulsar. I couldn't afford a Seiko at the time. My parents couldn't <laughs> do. Uh, but I admired the watch. I went back and then um, I purchased it. It was very classic, very safe purchase and things like that. Uh, but that as years went on, uh, you know, the brand kind of lost its way. And, uh, you know, and then we moved on to, you know, to other things. And then I started working at Movado. And then I, you know, this is going back uh, 40 years ago. And uh, it was an incredible startup. Nobody, we just bought the company in 1982. And um, at that time, uh, nobody ever heard of a of a watch with no numbers on the dial. <laughs> so we was go, I was going around as a salesman trying to sell a watch with no numbers. How do you no know it <laughs> Exactly. Is it 10 after 5 or is it 8 after 5? I know when it's logo. Do those cheaper watches lend themselves to the, or I, I should say, less expensive watches, lend themselves more to this era of no brand loyalty? The fashion watch business right. is really an accessory business at the time. It yep. got started when... A gentleman took off his Rolex and gave it to his girlfriend or his wife, and she put it on. They're called the boyfriend watch. That's right. when it got started. Then all of a sudden, brands like Fossil and Michael Kors and all these groups you know, started taking the men's – ladies now were wearing men's watches, right? But now they were making it as a fashion statement. They weren't buying Rolexes at five or 10000 They were buying fashion watches at one ninety five, two ninety five. dollars Right. There was about a 10-year lifespan where that became a very big business, but it was uh, not a sustainable business model. When looking at your portfolio now, uh, one word keeps coming to my attention, and it's legacy. How often do you think about the legacy of the Citizen Watch Group or the legacy of the individual brands that you're working with through the group? It's all the time. As a matter of fact, that's my number one job is to think about the legacy, think about how we want to interpret ourselves and communicate to the, to the world. Uh, the Citizen brand particularly, you know, the, the name Citizen uh, really was for the citizens of the world. We wanted to make watches for everybody. Love that. And we wanted people to enjoy our products. And being a vertically integrated company, we, we make the the, mach the machines that make the movements that that, that uh, do the complete watches and, and assemble them. Everything from start to finish and the movements, which we make most of the movements for a lot of non-Swiss uh, companies. So, uh, matter of fact, 25% of all the movements that are in all the watches you see out there, people don't even realize there are movements. So we're, we're totally vertical, and it's very important for the legacy standpoint. Boulevard, for an example, um, I mean, that's the greatest, uh, the greatest traditional New York brand that's, that's ever lived. You know, even had a place in Italy for a while, and certainly when we start talking about Accutron. But there's no brands that you can say that have been in New York, has stayed in New York, and has evolved to one of the biggest brands in, in North America than Boulevard. So it's very important that the iconic lifestyle of the brand is important, like the Empire State Building, the Frank Sinatra, uh, all the things that are, that are symbolic to, to the Americas are very, very important. Don't to lose that fabric. When you go to other scenarios where you're going to Swiss brands and things like that, we do things that are really more appealing to the luxury segment and making sure that we're 
we're playing in that uh, venue that's very important. What's important to the luxury consumer versus the more moderate uh, consumer in the market today? The Sinatra reference you make is to a new line that just came out that Bulova is doing, where you got permission from the family and redesigned sort of what Frank would wear. And that hasn't uh, launched officially yet, right? It has launched. It's actually launching now, actually launched last month, and it's been very, very good. I would imagine that uh, being online for something like the Sinatra launch, it allows you to target people not by watch preference, although I'm sure you do, but by musical preference or other preference in some other way. You can target the Sinatra consumer in a way that someone who might not even be a watch. Uh, exactly. And, and that's a very good point. The foundation or the, the base is all about culture when it comes to, to the Boulevard brand. You know, the reason we have our relationship and our association with the Grammys, not only the, the American Grammys, but the Latin Grammys, it's a platform. Everybody loves music, right? Whether it's, it's, it's soul, it's pop, it's hip hop, rock and roll, everybody loves music. So we were really reaching a very broad uh, demographic psychographic, and it was very well done. And it's something we have a long-term commitment and a long history, and it's truly Americana. Frank was a very Americana. I mean, you know, those as days- Americana as Americana as it gets. Cuts, right? And with the whiskey and the, and the, and the uh, cigars and all these type of things- and, and he made brands like Jack Daniels, you know, exactly. was, it was a huge piece of their success. And we, it's funny because when we did the launch of the Accutron, we invited in some of our, Michael will probably tell you more, a lot of our best retail partners and some of the retail partners that we didn't do be, uh, business with, but they know us very well, the size of our group, our capabilities and things like that. And most of the people that came to the event that was in LA last year were the, were the next generation. They remember not what their father had, the owner of the store right now is still telling them these kids what to do, but their grandfather had all of these iconic things from Frank Sinatra, you know, in those days, whether it be a tie clip, whether it be a watch. Sure. So it really hit a chord, not only for people that were reliving, you know, that, that day and age, but the younger generation that skipped this generation was very inspired about the Frank Sinatra collection. They didn't want what their father had. They wanted what their grandfather had. Right. Or yeah. what Tony Stark is wearing, which is another connection you guys have, yes. which is to Disney. Talk about that a little yeah, that's, that's a phenomenal joint venture that we have. It's not Disney is a plethora of so many different assets and, and ideas and uh, venues. We're not just a um, – we make Disney watches and we have all the different things. We're a uh, one of very, very few – people that align ourselves with them. We're one of the high-valued um, collaborators. So like you know, like American Express and Coca-Cola and things like this. So we have a true alliance partnership. So we have the availability to reach tens and millions of people. As a matter of fact, we're in every clock in every park around the world. That most iconic you know, Snapchat uh, clock down Main Street. They're all citizen clocks now. Okay, so... The idea was to, you know, before COVID, was to, when people are enjoying themselves, when people are out having a great time and they're on vacation and they're taking pictures, we citizen wanted to be part of that experience. And that's happening all over the world in all the parks. That's only one piece of the alliance agreement that we have. We have uh, associations with Marvel. We do the Comic-Cons here in New York and I LA. I saw your Black Panther watch at Comic-Con last year and was blown away by the intricacies in the way it wasn't an interpretation of a character, it was the embodiment of a character. And that was so well done. It, you, really, you really moved me with it. Right. And we also actually have a, a citizen design team and more of a commercial designer that's used to designing you know, characters and things like that, working collaboratively together to really deliver the best product and things like that. But 
being where people are happy is where citizen wants to be. And that was the association. And this deal was a 12-year deal. So this is not something to laugh about. And it's, it's uh, quite expensive to be a partner and alliance partner with them. And we can expect more Marvel partnered watches in you'll the see, future. You'll see a, a lot of things from Citizen that are going to tap into the, the resources that are available to them through the Disney organization. I mean, it goes on and on and on what they have. You know, I, I want to see an extremely tiny Ant-Man watch. <laughs> <laughs> it may have a problem with the movement. So. I, I, I want to ask this question because I feel like I'm one of the only people in the world that likes watch trade shows. I live for Basel World. I, like, I really enjoy it. But rumor has it you might also be a fan of trade shows. Well, we, we're a fan of supporting the industry. Remember, we're a very big um, supporter of this industry, everything from the American Watch Association to the Jewelers Vigilance Committee to the uh, you know, Jewelers uh, Security Alliance, anything that has to do. And this is where I come into play, and Michael as well. We have a lot of years of experience in this business, and we need to make sure we're supporting the industry. So if the industry is going right, we're going to go right, and we're going to be part of it. And we're going to not only be in, involved, but we're going to be the one of the biggest stars or standouts in that environment. So there's a lot, a lot of uncertainty right now, just people getting together in general, you, you know, because of COVID. So we'll see where things go. But we're committed not only short-term but long-term to different types of straight shows. Now, the type of formats and the type of experiences that are going to be available in trade shows is certainly going to change, um, but we'll be part of them. I'm amazed by the kind of breadth of your career, your longevity at certain companies, and and sort of this just rise from, I mean, you started as a sales trainee. If there's someone out there listening to this who just loves watches, is is into this whole corner, how would you say, what's their best avenue for getting into the business today? Collaborate. Be very collaborative. Ask a lot of questions. Go to stores. Go to brands. Go to talk to people about the watch industry. Go to trade shows. Go to watch fairs. Uh, read up on it and things like that. Be very informed. When you see someone that's very informed in this category, people will be very excited to talk to you. Gotcha. It's very, very important. And listen to the Accutron show. Listen to the Accutron show. <laughs> Please, as often as you can. Uh, well, that's, of, that's how we get people excited, right? <laughs> we try. What would you advise other companies who are going through the pandemic about how America specifically, how can they keep moving forward? I think it's important, um, and this is what we instill in our company, to over-communicate. This is a time where you're not face-to-face. You need to make sure that your organization is all in the same place. Um they have a clear understanding of what the direction of the organization is and what their role is in the organization at the given time. Now, a lot of people's roles have changed. You know, we, we didn't have to have people doing uh, setting up state-of-the-art Zoom calls, <laughs> you know, or, or rehearsing what's the best presentation or putting a watch under a magnifier that it projects onto a screen. It's really being uh, nimble. Like you said before, it's being transparent. It's being uh, flexible. And you really have to have a, a change in mindset of how you're going to do business in the future because it's not going to be like it used to be 30 years ago. It's very different. The Citizens Watch Group obviously will be a part of the future well beyond the next 30 years. And uh, we are going to now introduce one of your marketing partners in the next segment. Tell us something about Michael Benevente that, that no one knows. Tell us something about Michael <laughs> well, let Benevente. Me, let me tell no you first knows. about who Michael Benevente is. Michael Benevente is probably one of the, the best watch executives in the industry. Um, he is 
loved and admired by not only the retail community, but also, you know, other vendors and other people in our category. They have high regards for him. Uh, he's been responsible for the growth of the Bulova brand in, in the North American market and obviously working with you guys on Accutron. Something you don't know about Michael is that I think he likes to cook. He doesn't talk too much about it. Um, so, and he's, he's very fashionable. You know, we only see him in dressed in the going to work, but we don't really get a chance to see him on the weekend. And I can tell you he probably looks pretty good on the weekends. And he's, if he's as stylish as he is during the week, but, uh, <laughs> don't ever underestimate Michael Benevente. And I hope he still likes the podcast after we're done with uh, an interview with him. Uh, <laughs> well, this one's going pretty good, so I think he's in, we're in good shape. Yeah. We'll bring him in for 20, 30 seconds, and that'll right. be the podcast. Yeah. Jeffrey Cohen, thank you for joining us thank on you. the Accutron Show. Michael Benevente, welcome to the Accutron Show. Your boss said some nice things about you. Did you hear that? I heard some of the things he said. I was a little bit embarrassed, but uh, it was very nice of him to say. We obviously called this the Accutron Show because it's about Accutron, and you've been instrumental in helping to relaunch that. But uh, I want to ask uh, the thing that I asked him about, which is, were you watching Mad Men that night, and what was your reaction to it? Well, the episode of Mad Men was many years ago. Right. And I was actually working for Gucci watches and jewelry at the time. <laughs> and I happened to be a very big fan of the show. Just, it was a great, it's still, it's one of my favorite shows. It, it just ticks all the boxes for who I am. But I remember seeing the, the episode when it came out and I was like, oh my God, that is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about product placement, and especially when uh, we were talking earlier about uh, Sinatra and how he drank Jack Daniels, and that wasn't something that they uh, asked him to do. He just came upon it, and I guess that happened for Accutron. Michael, uh, how did the launch go back in October? The launch went uh, very, very successful uh, in terms of uh, everything that had to happen during a very, you know, difficult uh, year right. in terms of business. Um, but the the watches, you know, received amazingly well. Uh, we sold out of all of the Asuline uh, special edition, limited edition, sorry, uh, sets. We sold uh, 300 That's sets. That's the one with the book? That's the one with the book, uh, numbered uh, one through three hundred. So all of them sold out worldwide. Wow. Um, so just a just a great story in a very difficult. Can you still get the book without the watch? You can still get the book. Okay. Good. Um, so the book is actually the book sold out of the Asuline website as well. Um, oh, well, and, maybe you can't get that. <laughs> uh, no, you can, because we were fortunate enough to, to pre-buy. And so on, uh, ask, on AccutronWatch.com, we still have um, the book available. Gotcha. i got to think all this success has got to be, I don't know, podcast. Uh, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little biased. I, I want to touch base with you on one word, and it's, it's a word that's often misused, and it's icon. Clearly, the Accutron is an icon of design, of retrofuturism, of, of so much in the watch industry. How did you approach relaunching an icon? We took four years to really pause um, because there had been many uh, iterations of Accutron uh, over the years. Um, it started out as Accutron, then became Bulova, you know, Accutron, and it, it certainly was bounced around for 16 years, just about. Um, but f five years ago, um, when Jeffrey and I, you know, came here, um, came here meaning, you know, Bulova and Accutron, we really understood that Accutron was a very important icon and it had to be treated correctly. In addition, we were fortunate that Citizen Watch Holdings in Japan had been working on a special movement which would 
end up being the electrostatic movement that would then go into the relaunch of this watch, of so, this brand. Let's back up and explain what the electrostatic movement is and what it was in 1960 and how it's different now. So in 1960, the launch of Accutron uh, was the uh, 214, 218 humming, you know, uh, movement, which everyone is very familiar with. I'm wearing one now. Beautiful watch and uh, a a very iconic watch, um, to use the word again. Um, But that changed time. That changed the way time was was kept um, over 300 years. In 300 years, there had not been a change in timekeeping equipment. Wow. Until Accutron. And so the challenge was, if we're going to relaunch the brand 60 years later, how do we do something that's as innovative and different as it was in 1960? Um, so that is the electrostatic movement that we have today. Well, what I'm confused about, or what I think was probably the most, uh, the craziest thing, was to be standing in the Accutron factory the day they said, hey, now there's a thing called quartz, and it's 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 an eighth of a second faster, and we're out of business. Like, that's that blows my mind. Well, funny, quartz doesn't really exist without the tuning fork movement. So the tuning fork movement had to come in order for quartz to happen. And the idea of an electric movement, which is what Accutron was powered by, by a power cell, Quartz would not have had that if it hadn't been for that. So they basically put themselves out of business the day they introduced <laughs> the tuning fork movement in 1960. The day they put themselves into business. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. That's why the brand really, if you look at the history of it, it had you know 15 years. I mean, that's really, I mean, the innovative years were 15. I had the privilege of being in Los Angeles when you showed the uh, folks what the new watches were going to look like. And the display units looked like they came right out of a Mad Men set. I mean, they were really like from the 60s. So talk a little bit about everything that's gone into, the besides what's on the wrist, what else Accutron means? We took special care in looking at the 60s. So, you know, the brand was built on two tenants, really. Technology with the tuning fork movement and design. I mean, design was so important to that team, you know, in the 60s. If you look at the watches today, we we reissued the Legacy Collection, which is also part of the Accutron. So, yes, the electrostatic is the sexy girl or guy, but um, the Legacy is really, the Legacy Collection is really the greatest hits, if you will, of the brand, you know, from the 60s and early 70s. Those designs today still stand up. I mean, that's what's really amazing. We used a... Um, a group of collectors that are are friends of the brand, and they were very involved in how we decided to go after that whole legacy collection. Part of your role is partnership development. Many of those partners we actually spoke to on this show, whether it's Asseline Books or Hudson Whiskey, how did you go about finding partners for this launch? The most important part of the partnership was authenticity. We wanted to be authentic to the Accutrant brand, um, Accutron being born of Bulova. So Accutron is son of Bulova. So no matter how you try to separate that, you can't. And Bulova has been based in New York City for 145 years continuously. I always like to say every January 2nd, someone came to the front door of an office uh, either in uh, lower Manhattan, Queens, or now the uh, Empire State Building and has opened the door for 145 years. I think that is actually the coolest. You didn't ask me, but I'm going to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) The coolest part of working at Bulova is that. Because how many brands can say they have been around uninterrupted for 145 years? 
plenty of old brands that, you know, have been around for whatever, but you know they were out of business for 30, 40 years. Somebody bought the intellectual property, relaunched it. Not the case here. So um, the brand had a lot of iterations, certainly in 145 years. But um, so for Accutron, being son of Boulevard and being born in New York, um, we wanted to be authentic to that. And so Hudson Whiskey is the first distillery, you know, uh, reborn or relaunched in New York City since Prohibition. Uh, La Polina cigars with the amazing history of the Paley family, you know, the Paley family being, you know, so important to New York. And uh, also CBS, he ran CBS, Bill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, amazing and f- very philanthropic folks uh, and family here in New York. And also the cigars being made in the United States was also a very important, you know, aspect for us. And, uh, and Esterbrook being uh, not in New York, but right across the river in Camden, um, and being such an important pen company, Esterbrook Pens, being such an important pen company, and at its height, making 216 million pens in the United States. Um, but going back to Lincoln and, I mean, and Kennedy <laughs> and like uh, iconic. Uh, I just love how all these things, you know, cigars, whiskey, pens, these were all invented elsewhere and then brought to New York to take on a kind of new life. It Made feels better. like Akitron is sort of part of that tradition. And and the roots of Boulevard, Joseph, I mean, Joseph Boulevard has to be mentioned, you know, as an immigrant, you know, who came here from what was then called Bohemia and kind of also, you know, actually was not a watch for, probably most folks don't um, know the fact that he wasn't a watch guy. He was a jeweler when he came here and he apprenticed at Tiffany uh, actually, for um, for about ten years before he went out on his own, and when he went on out on his own, he was down in Maiden Lane. He opened his first shop in Maiden Lane, New York, uh, down by the South uh, South Street Seaport. For those of you who don't know where that is in New York, um, and later on gets into watches. So, kind of wow. the same idea. I mean, getting conver- that seems like an amazing conversion to go from jewelry to watches. I mean, the level of complexity with watches is just a whole other level, right? Apparently, he was good at it. Well, I don't even know, like every like, like every great manager, right? There's a team behind, and I think he recognized the opportunity and had people that knew probably more about watches than he did mm-hmm. um, on that team. But he's um, he really was the first to uh, to use the Henry Ford idea of assembly building. Oh. Um, and he had he had more many, made in America ideas exactly, and and Bolivar was a made in USA brand. I mean, for many years. Decade. How does the electrostatic movement in particular differentiate from, from the movements that have come before it? It's the first watch to ever use uh, electrostatic energy. So there has never been a watch before that uses and harnesses electrostatic energy to power the movement. So the watch itself comes charged um, because it has to be charged with electrostatic energy. Um, and then as you wear it, as you use it, every day or as often as you decide you want to wear it, you are creating energy, you know, which is then cre- turned Static to- electricity? Electrostatic energy by your movement. Okay. So as you move, you're right. creating energy. And Got that it. energy, there's uh, there's three turbines on the watch. And the larger turbine is actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting, if you will, and then trading that into the, I don't want to geek out on everyone, but- But it's uh, not winding a spring, it's charging a battery. There's no spring. Right. It's, and it's not charging a battery. It's actually 
the energy that's created is in a capacitor and it's being stored in the capacitor. And if it, it gets sleepy, the even though the watch is still running, the uh, second hand stops and that's how you know you need to do a little more. Well, yes, but there's a couple of signals uh-huh. that the watch will give you. Uh-huh. Um, but the main, the main great feature about it is, let's say, I, I do believe a lot of collectors are buying the watch, right? So they own many watches. They're not going to use this watch every day. They can pull out the crown and the watch goes into... Massive, massive sleep mode. So actually you are not draining any energy during that time period. You could conceivably put that watch down with the crown out for more than nine years and it would still, you could still pick it up Engage the crown, set the time, and and start. Using and because it. there's no battery, you're never going to wear out that battery. So the the capacitor is going to hold the charge, and the ca- the capacitor will hold the charge. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Why is this watch alluring to collectors? Collectors are are very much uh, interested in novelty innovation, right? So being the first electrostatic movement ever created, a collector has to have that in their collection. I mean, it's almost mandatory if you're going it's to historic. be in the game. And it's historic, yeah. How much more accurate is this one than the new one, than the one I'm wearing from the 60s or 70s? Um, I don't remember the plus or minus on the tuning fork movement, but this is plus or minus five seconds a month. So okay. it's it's highly accurate, but accuracy is not the game here. You know, we're, we're not trying to be the most accurate watch. Well, David mentions the collector, and I think this does have an interesting niche. So it starts at about $3,000, and the most expensive one that is a, is, you're only going to make like 60 of is 20000 Yes. But most of them that you're going to sell are between three and four, $5,000. Yeah, let's, let's call it $4,000. And that to- strikes me as kind of a sweet spot. It's kind of a nice, it, it's just reasonable enough that you would want to add it to a collection. And there's obviously, unless you have the old ones, nothing like it in your collection. So how, how has the collector reaction been? The collector reaction has been nothing but phenomenal. I mean, it's uh, it's really what has been able to propel us, you know, right from the start and to have that energy where, whereas if we didn't have the collector interested, it'd be much harder to get started, especially during the year 2020, as we know it. So um, it, it really has given the brand energy, you know, beyond what normally would happen. I'm curious if you have like an incredible archive of just materials and advertisements and the history of the brand. We did and we didn't. So (laughs) we uh, set forth five years ago to really rebuild the archive and the museum, Uh, you know, Boulevard slash Accutron having several owners over that 145 years, unfortunately, there wasn't a consistency in the keeping of the archives. Um, I think when the brand moved from Woodside at one point, um, and it it would it moved within Woodside Queens several times in that t- in that dec- in those decades. Um, stuff was thrown out. I mean, to put it bluntly. So um, we went back out to reach out to get the watches and, and the and the archives that we have now. We have a museum at the Empire State Building today, which I'm very happy, you know, uh, that we were able to pull that off. When was it in Woodside? It was in Woodside uh, during the 50s, 60s, gotcha. 70s. Yeah, okay. it was It was at least 40 years so fun. I, I think of it as such an iconic Manhattan-oriented brand, but I'm, of course, I'm. I don't go back to the fifties. So, I, <laughs> well, it was funny uh, to think about Woodside. It was in Woodside. Up, actually, we just closed the last warehouse. We just literally closed it this past year. I wow. mean, there was a small. There was still a small footprint left um, up until this year. 
Wow. There's still a building in Queens called the Boulevard Building, right? There is a uh, people going to Jeff Carroll LaGuardia always tell me, oh, you right. guys are out by the airport. <laughs> if, if I had a dime for everybody that tells me I'm out by the airport, um, and I say, no, uh, we're not by the airport, but I'm happy to say that's a historical landmark building. It's actually called Boulevard Corporate Center. And if you go in there, there's uh, there's Boulevard you know, branding you know, in the building. It's really cool. Oh. You know, Steinway moved to Manhattan as well. There's no shame in it. (laughs) (laughs) You're in good company. Hey, you worked for Swatch and uh, Movado the way uh, Jeffrey did and uh, also the Gucci group. What are you doing better at Boulevard than they're doing? I don't know if it's better. We're in different places. Swatch group has a portfolio of brands that's incredible. They are the largest watch group in the world. So uh, in value, in revenue, Um, they have some amazing brands they're doing a lot of things well also. They've just never had a really good time in the United States. I think it comes down to managers that they have. I think Jeffrey may have alluded in his podcast to some of that. Movado, they've gone through different iterations of where they, you know, of different different things that they've been trying to do. And I think they're they're trying things, right? Everybody's trying things. And so for for us and and for Bulova specifically. There's only two things that are important to us that I think is why we're propelling, you know, maybe a bit better than some others. And it's it's about storytelling. No one needs a watch today. Absolutely no one needs a watch. I mean, it's not a utilitarian item. It's all about the stories. I mean, people will wear a watch if they're connected emotionally to a story. And then that watch becomes the most important thing that they could ever want, but they don't need it to tell time. Who's the uh, who's the get you'd like to have to have wearing an Accutron? Who's the celebrity or politician that you would like to see it on the wrist of? Uh, we're going to stay away from politicians. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to stay away. Well, from I politi- mentioned this. I mentioned the Tony Stark watch with uh, with Jeffrey. So is a fictional there, character. Yeah, is there somebody that should be wearing an uh, an Accutron? Jon Snow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'd love for Max Weiner to wear a watch. Guy who created uh, yeah, because that would really be. I know he's a watch collector. We've had some communication with him. Um, Not you know. I mean, we had communication for this. You know, we wanted to use. It's not a you know timepiece. It's a conversation piece. And actually, the brand had used that type of wording, but not exactly the same way that Matt wrote it. Yeah, that's uh, funny. Because he wrote it. That's so amazing that he got, gave you the line, kind of, sort of. I mean, it, he, he actually made it better. Right. So he made, <laughs> right. he, he made it so that a it was- A show about advertising that's better than actual advertising. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. What was the original line? It kind of works, but not so great? Or um, <laughs> <laughs> you could it's talk a, about it. You want to talk about it? <laughs> it's not a timepiece, but who cares? <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, that would be exciting. If, and any kind of new television or movie project that features anything to do with advertising, because that's what this podcast has been all about in the, in the episodes we've done over the last few months. It's been about celebrating American brands, and uh, you've talked about some of them in, in the partnerships, but uh, we're really about uh, the, the influence that the 60s and 70s had on what we see today. When you walk down the street, what's the what are the other iconic things you see that you go that I'm, you know, I remember that, that's interesting, that's cool. This is influenced by that. I mean, is the 
any of the cars that you're seeing on the on the road or anything in fashion that that flies back and forth between those two times definitely cars i mean definitely furniture you had asked about furniture earlier um that we had the furniture um that we've created for the let's call them the shops right. uh, that we have i mean that furniture was created from you know from the 60s modern you know that that mid-century modern which is all over the place i mean i i think young people today are driving you know that mid-century modern look you know, more than anyone. So furniture, cars, fashion, art, um, I think all of it is is part of the the mix. And Accutron is in that mix. Accutron is in that mix. So if in a perfect world, who would you have wearing the new Accutron watches? What actor, actress, movie, TV? I would say definitely the cast of Mad Men to me. Oh, of would, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get it on John Hamm for sure. And Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> yeah. And the guy who who created it, Matt Wiener, were you saying that he's a collector as well? He is. He's a collector. When we reached out to him about it's not a timepiece, it's a conversation piece, as it's written in the episode that uh, they talked about, he mentioned that you know he, he loves watches. He actually loves Accutron, which is why he wrote that into the show. <laughs> so there are two brands, Accutron and Bulliva, and they have lived together and apart. So what's the history there? I mean, I know Bulliva was very involved in, in, like Omega, going to the moon, but it didn't get all the press. So, so fill us in on on what the story is there. Well, Bulova went to the moon and back forty six different times. So, actually, Whoa. way more than some of the other brands that you may have mentioned, um, or we, the astronauts, <laughs> <laughs> or some of the astronauts. Exactly. Um, so, Bulova was working on Accutron, the tuning fork movement, in the late fifties. Actually, it was in development for quite a few years during the fifties. Uh, obviously, you don't launch a groundbreaking movement you know, like that just, you know, overnight. So as the late 50s were coming on, uh, Omar Bradley, who is the last five-star general in the United States, was the chairman of the board of Bulova, which is a whole other crazy history there. He's in Patton. He's in the movie. <laughs> exactly. So um, Omar Bradley knew that he had something very special in the Accutron movement and the 24214 movement. So he really wanted to make sure that he was ready and prepared for that. At the same time, being um, a former five-star general, he has all of the connections and ends with the military and the U.S. government. So as they're looking to launch the space program, they're looking for accuracy and timekeeping. And Accutron comes on the scene as the most accurate you know, instrument of time uh, at that moment. So Accutron gets embedded into test pilot planes, oh, wow. uh, into into the space capsules. It's a continuation of the using time for navigation at sea, right? It's in, in space this time. <laughs> and, and he had created the most, and, and the company had created the most accurate time measure at the moment. So all of the instrumentation had Accutron, you know, timekeeping. And it went to the moon. It went to space 46 times. And it's still there. What? <laughs> well, kinda? It, there's kind of a clock on the Sea of Tranquility. Um, Whoa. And to our knowledge, uh, it had been working up until about 18 months, two years ago. Wow. It, it finally, it seemed to finally stop sending signals back. Um, so it may still be working, just signals not coming back. You get up there, you're like, this is very tranquil, except tick, tick, tick. <laughs> Wait, what's that next to the monolith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why we're not getting the signal. 
wow, well, that's that's fascinating. And yet I feel like that story doesn't get told as much. The Boulevard story, the Icatron story, we're, we're trying to tell now. In fact, the, the whole idea of this podcast is something different for the Accutron brand. And we appreciate your doing that. Thanks. Uh, what was the germ of that idea? Um, the germ came from when we had decided it's not a timepiece, it's a conversation uh, piece as part of the tagline. And, and thinking about how could we be different, thinking about the Bulova history of firsts, because Bulova has an amazing history of firsts. We were the first television commercial ever. We ran the first ever, not just for watches, ever, uh, 1941. We were the first radio commercial ever. Um, so many, so many different firsts that the brand had. So, what we, did a TV spot go for in 1941? Nine dollars. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it's it's easily double that now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thinking about all of that legacy and history, what could we do that would be different and would be first? And so obviously podcasts being the modern day version of a radio show. And then as we did further research, uh, we learned that there had never been a brand that did an episodic podcast, uh, never watch brand, sorry, never had a watch brand that done an episodic podcast. So we said, that's it. Let's jump on that and let's really make that the center of our marketing and communication for the brand. Right. I know the conversations we've had on this podcast have been incredibly <laughs> rewarding. They seriously have been. Yeah. The idea of uh, predicating a brand around conversation, around interaction, around people coming together, around people learning from each other and talking to each other and just loving up on each other. From all um, over the really world. Asseline yeah. from France and uh, the, we... we we got a little loopy one day over some Hudson. A little bit. Hudson Valley. I really just liked being a member of the first ever episodic podcast from a watch brand. To be a part of the firsts. And we've got right. a flag we want to plant in this uh, room and we, we will be forever <laughs> immortalized that can, way. Can I be bold and ask, I rethought your question, Bill, about who I'd want the watch oh. being worn. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. So, so who would you like to wear the watch? Not only the cast of Mad Men, because uh -huh. certainly they em embody the whole spirit of that time period. But all of the folks that did come through here this year, all of the guests that came through the podcast are really what symbolizes what Accutron is about, right? New starts, different, being different, approach. I mean, no one that you had come through here is doing things on an average in an average way. They've yeah. all done things in a very different way. And and that's really what Accutron, you know, is about. Dynamic, forward thinking. Uh, well, whether, they're all extraordinary. They're all very unique and different from each other too. That was furniture one, designers. One we had a was. DJ who had a, a bow tie company. We've had we've had uh, we've had <laughs> as quite you a, do. Yeah, <laughs> as you do. As you will when you have the first podcast sponsored by uh, a watch brand. Uh, we asked Jeffrey about brick-and-mortar retail. We also asked him about breaking into the business. How did you get into this business? I got in this business in retail. It was a retail start. I was a, in the executive training program for Bambergers, which was owned by Macy's. Bambergers? So that's only for the old people what was who are listening jingle? to this. <laughs> what was the Bambergers jingle? They didn't have one, okay. though. <laughs> it's not always, a, it's well, not always about a jingle, Bill. We'll call Matt Wiener. <laughs> yes. 
It's not. It's not just a store. It's a really big store. No, um, it's not just a store. It's bam. a it's a Bamberger. <laughs> Emerald will be there, folks. <laughs> so um, yeah, I started. Um, I started. I started uh, at Ma- let's call it Macy's and uh, executive training program, and that's how I used to come up in in, in the day. It was a great place. To, it was a great way to learn. You know what we do in business. Uh, unfortunately, those those days are, are really gone now. But Is the, so that that's not really a way you can break in anymore. How, how would you tell someone coming into the industry? How do they? How they should start out? What's a good avenue? Um, I would say um, you definitely want to. I, I like retail. I like retail as a start. Um, if you can start in retail, I, I do believe that retail for a couple of years. Everybody needs to be in front of a customer, in front of a consumer. Right. I think if you if you understand that, you understand service, customer service, and you learn all about the brands at retail. I would say that that was a big. That was a big, and that's not going away. You think we're always going to have retail? I do, I do. Um, I think the marriage of e-commerce and retail is the right formula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for these high-ticket items, it's uh, it's hard to get away from a, a brick and mortar at some point in the chain. There, I think the great thing that's happened this year, um, for all the reasons that we know, is that um, all of the brick and mortar retailers have become digitally savvy. They were forced to become digitally savvy. We we were we were trying to get them there, and when I say we, the 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 industry, you know, was trying to get them there, but there was no there was no need. They didn't see the need this year. They understood. They the need. see <laughs> the need. I'm really curious. You spend your days thinking about watches and talking about watches and building watch brands. Do you still love watches? I don't really think about watches. I think <laughs> oh, about well, stories. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, you know, to be to be fair, I mean, it's the story that's leading. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Um, the Sinatra collection at Bulova was mentioned earlier. That wasn't about watches. The story came first. The watch came second. It's the hook that's needed today. And that's certainly true of the Accutron brand. The and story it's about that it has time. to tell. And it's Indeed. about time. And we've had a conversation, in fact, many pieces of conversation about a conversation piece. We asked Jeffrey one thing no one would know about you. He says you're a good cook. I don't know. Is that true? I'm okay. I wouldn't say I'm great, but I'm, I'm okay. What's your favorite feed, thing to make? What's your signature dish? I could feed myself uh, chicken. I make a good I, I make a good baked chicken, and I can make it in a lot of different ways. Okay, right, excellent. Let's go to a restaurant tonight instead. And um, <laughs> and what's the one thing no one knows about Jeffrey? Jeffrey is a collector of Ralph Lauren furniture and oh, wow. art. Oh, that's a thing. That's oh, wow. a thing. Wow. Yeah, he's a big Ralph Lauren fan. Wow. You know what? I'm just, he may be way ahead of the curve on that. What do you think, Robert? <laughs> I mean, that's like maybe 20, 40, 50 years from now, there won't be a, a Ralph Lauren store anymore. And that the, that plaid chest of drawers will be like uh, going on to Sotheby's auction block. Honestly, we should start collecting now. <laughs> from the <laughs> mouths late. of Cohen. Too, too late. Yeah, he's bought it all up. He's bought it all up. <laughs> like Joel Silver and the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, who oh, just kept yeah. going around the country. But we digress, as we often do, uh, thanks it's to the nice It's a conversation piece, Bill. It, it is, <laughs> it's lots of pieces of conversation. Uh, Michael Benevente, thank you for joining us. And thank Jeffrey again, please. Uh, you guys have been very supportive of this little thing we call the Accutron Show, and we appreciate it. And we hope the audience does, too. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I've listened to every show, and it's been a real treat to listen every Tuesday morning. First thing I put on is the Accutron show. So I really appreciate it. Really great. Thank God you. Bless My pleasure. You. 
On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron Time. Set your tuning forks. Oh,